Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian. This week, I'm joined here by Dwayne. Sebastian, another tournament weekend. This oh, is the, like this is the. I mean, it's. I was going to say this is the last one, but it's not the last one. It's not. I mean, there are literally two more weekends of tournaments that I potentially could be involved in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. This might be my last one of 2021. We'll see. Yeah. Um, yeah, this is, but so we're, uh, Dwayne and I are headed to the Southampton cup, um, down in Ellicott city, Maryland, Columbia, uh, Maryland. I think more people might know where Columbia is. No, Ellicott city is not on the map. Ellicott. It depends on who you're talking to. Honestly, depends on the map. <laughs> depends on if you're talking to someone that's familiar with Maryland, they'll say, oh yeah, Ellicott city and somebody not familiar with Maryland say, oh, Columbia. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so we're heading down there, 2010 boys, 2010 girls, uh, 09 boys, and 06 girls. Yeah, trying to get some players signed to Southampton to do that program. We're looking to get 45 boys and 45 girls. We'll, we'll see if any of our players make it, get invited to go. That's right. That's not the purpose of us going, but that's an added bonus. That's right. And the 04 boys have their uh, season debut. Uh, this weekend at the PA Classics Boys Showcase, Showcase up in Lancaster. Yeah. And did you know that they are playing a team from Miami? They are. I saw that on Sunday. Yeah. And Josh's question was, isn't it nice in Miami? Why are you coming up to cold, boring Lancaster in December? That's where our team has to take advantage. These kids are going to come out like, whoa. <laughs> These kids are coming out in gloves and parkas. They might have team parkers that they're going to play in. Actually, no, they wouldn't because that you would never buy a team parker if you're from Miami. Yeah. So, so they're probably at the store right now loading up on some gear. <laughs> yeah, for 100% because not many Florida teams have uh, hoodies and long sleeve shirts and pants and all these other things now. Dude's going to uh, come out here like Spider-Man gloves from like Kmart. <laughs> <laughs> like little kids gloves. Like. <laughs> Oh, that'd be great if somebody came up with a Spider-Man gloves. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, so we're heading down there. Um, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be a good weekend. Um, you know, last weekend with Thanksgiving weekend off, everybody everybody had off, which was good. Give everybody, everybody a break. Um, then we'll get started to the, you know, towards the end of the season, um, last couple of weeks, and then we're done. Try to uh, finish out the rest of our season, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> A uh, few practices left. They got the Diamonds tryouts on December 20th. Looking forward to that. That's going to be exciting. Um, so make sure you, if you're a high school age player, current college player, former college player, come on out, play with us this summer. Come out to the first tryout, December 20th uh, in Middletown. Go to our website. It'll feel like Miami when we actually start to play. Yeah, it'll be. Yeah. Now when we're not, yeah, first one's going to be tough, but then when we play over the summer. So yeah, make sure you check us out on facebook.com slash Delorean on Instagram at Delorean Soccer and on Twitter at D Union Soccer. And of course, our diamonds pages at DE Union Diamonds on Facebook and Instagram. All right, Dwayne, I I don't know how to really, I mean, this is one of probably this is the, in 75 episodes, I probably am the most nervous I've been right now uh with our two guests, mostly because yeah, we have a star studded, we have some stars here. Mostly because uh, 
I don't want to, I don't want to fail my potential next coaching course. Um, yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, so with us today, we have uh, Mike Barr, who is a technical director for Eastern Pennsylvania Youth Soccer. And we have Dr. Lou Atkinson, who is the Delaware Union Technical Advisor and also one of the A-licensed instructors for U.S. Soccer. Mike and Lou, how are you? Doing better every day. Thanks, Sebastian. Uh, so we we wanted to bring you both on today, mostly because we know you are you are good friends and you've known each other for uh, for a couple of weeks. Um, and at the same time, uh, Mike, Mike, um, you made a Facebook post about specialization versus playing multiple sports at a at a young age. Um, and it's a conversation that I know Lou and I've had before. He's brought it up at our coaches' meetings as well. So, Mike, we'll start off with you. What are your thoughts on specialization versus playing multiple sports at an early age in general? Obviously, I like kids playing multiple sports. Um, I think what happens, this isn't very specific, but parents actually decide that their kid's going to specialize as opposed to the kids. And I think within soccer, um, there's a push and a nudge from an early age. Because soccer looks like soccer, even at six years old, you're going to a goal and things like that. Parents get enthralled, especially parents who didn't play the sport. And they suspect their kid's going to be playing for the union or playing in college somewhere. And uh, they, ha- they have a tendency to, to stick with the sport. And then you have coaches who come along who will tell them, well, you can't miss a practice or anything like that. So it kind of eliminates the kids' opportunities to do other things as they get older. But to be honest, I'm, I'm fine when a kid finally makes a decision, say, 12 or 13, that soccer's my sport or basketball's my sport, and they make the decision. I'm fine with that. But I think you're better rounded if uh, you don't specialize. Okay. Um, Lou, and you and I had this conversation yesterday. Uh, so what, is the, what does the research tell us about, about this, this specific topic? Well, the research is pretty consistent. Those athletes who end up very successful in their sport always played multiple sports while they were growing up. And what it seems to point out is if I play multiple sports, I get to make a variety of different kinds of decisions. I get to meet different kinds of people. I have to interact differently. So when it comes time to focus, I have a broader set of of experiences than if all I ever did was play soccer from the time I was six. Okay. So you have the Tiger-Roger dichotomy. Roger Federer didn't start playing tennis seriously till he was in his mid-teens. In fact, his mother was a tennis coach and wouldn't coach him. Tiger, from the time he got out of the womb, was playing golf. And you look at the two and you say, why is it that everybody focuses on Tiger rather than Federer? And I think it's because it appears to be a more direct path. Not easier. You got to put in the work, but a more direct path. But all the research tells us, you know, as Mike said, 
these kids are going to be pros, just not in soccer, just not in athletics. They're going to be doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, if you will. And so to be good at that, you have to have a broad range of skills. And to be good at tennis at a, a higher age, you have to have a broad range of skills. And that's what the literature is telling us. The research is telling us that's what matters. You always can find the outlier, but that's what matters. I mean, Duane, I think what, what Lou's trying to tell us is if we uh, wanted to specialize in a different sport, we possibly can at this at our age now. And we might make it. We I might, can live I don't know. I, I'm sure Dwayne would. You, Sebastian, I've I got my doubt. <laughs> You're telling me I couldn't live my dream of being in an NBA center at my at my age? Not yet. Not yet. All right, good. I, I, like the, I like the fact that I like the fact that you said yet. That that gives me hope. There's a, there's, a, there's a possibility. There's always a chance. Um, so Mike, how does this affect uh, coaching education? From your from your standpoint at at Eastern Pennsylvania or or coaching education across the board in general, when especially you know the last couple of years U.S. Soccer has launched the grassroots coaching courses, and now we're we're diving deeper into being very strategic and specific with our communication when it comes to seven v seven, nine v nine, four v four, and eleven v eleven. Um, I. I- Having Lou on, he might disagree a little bit, but I think the objective of uh, U.S. soccer when they put together the grassroots initially was to work with the recreation type kids or coaches who weren't going to be professional or paid coaches. So it made a lot of sense to them. Um, And it was easy to follow uh, because it's based primarily on just playing soccer. So in that sense, I kind of liked it. but what's happened now is most of the people taking the courses, as far as I see, are all set up to go through the whole um, group of courses to finally get their A or B license. So they're not taking the, the, the courses for the sense it was created for, but more so I'm just getting myself ready to be a professional coach. And um, having that in mind, they're, they're going to try to coach to win coaching younger teams. Whereas I thought the whole thing about the grassroots is development and having a fun experience. Lou, do you agree? I think like everything, it gets hijacked. Um, Once you say, because our grassroots structure leads us to a D, which is prerequisite to the C. And the C starts our more elite coaching license. And once you do that, then it gets hijacked. Then you have the guys that Mike's talking about taking the course only just check off boxes. When the course courses were designed to help dads and moms figure out how to deal with this. And that's what we need to get back to. Now, it's not that we don't have dads and moms taking those courses. It's just that some of it has been hijacked for uh, those coaches who want to go on. So, you know, if I were to give advice to the uh, federation, I would say, let's go back to the way we did these and these years ago, which was a pathway to the elite courses and keep the grassroots the way it is. So if, 
if your child is going to play 4v4 this year, you can take a four-hour course to help you figure out how to coach your child in 4v4. And that's all you need. I, I think I think that's uh that's a really really good point. I, I've taken the grassroots coaching courses um and I've also sat in in the grassroots coaching courses when when both Lou have or uh Brant Mays have t- taught them. I've I've sat in on on them just to just to observe and um uh, mostly because I just I enjoy coaching education courses. Um so the more I can I can sit there and, and watch and observe it's the better for me, I guess. I, I think um and one of the things that that I think is interesting is is this idea that it's a stepping stone into something something more. And I almost because there is no the for the D course, you have to have the eleven v eleven in person and then one other online course and then you and then you can and kind of go from there. So there is no time prerequisite of being able to apply what you potentially have learned or picked up on the 4v4 course before you move on to the next one. And I think, you know, where do you think, where does the responsibility fall on actually making sure that the clubs are implementing or the clubs are checking up on the coaches to make sure they're implementing what they learned in the, in the coaching courses. That's a really good question. Um, unless you're aware of who the DOC is or who the president of that club, you really have no idea unless you start driving around to practices and checking up on people and see if they're following that. Um, the, the other issue that I have with the grassroots is a lot of the, um, Curriculum is repetitive from 4v4, 77, 11v11. And it's been my experience that the, the coaches kind of lose interest after they've gone, you know, done their uh, online course and they come out to do their D. Um, and, and that's their expressions to me, too, that it's it's tough when things are repeated all the time in, in each one of the four, each one of those three grassroots courses. So. So when we talk about specialization versus playing multiple sports and we're, and we're licking coaching courses to it. And I, and I took my C course with, with Mike and Mike, you are my instructor for the instructor for the course. And one of the things I noticed, and as I'm preparing myself mentally and into my start, my, my B course in January, um, do you think, and, and maybe, and maybe I'm getting ahead of it and maybe it's going to come up in, in the B course, but do you think we talk enough in the coaching courses about the psychosocial aspect, the psychosocial pillar of the game, which then leads to this idea of specialization versus playing multiple sports or broadening your horizon when what, what I've seen, at least from the coaching courses at times, is that we do heavily focus on the technical and tactical part of the games, which are extremely important, but the psychosocial part is the part that I think maybe at times gets missed. And I think part of it is because the majority of us are not, are not trained psychosocial professionals. Uh, so um, do you think that that plays a part of it into from us? And that's what maybe drives that competitiveness that you were talking about from a coaching standpoint. Uh, uh. 
Mike, do you want me to jump in? You have an answer? Yeah, let me, yeah, jump, let in. me, let me jump in on that. You know, what happens as we start going through our coaching courses is we're, de- we're trying to deal with coaches that are dealing with more elite players. So in the A, what we're saying is, are you dealing with elite under 13 through 19 players? That is, are they training four days a week? Are they having the right time type of competition? So we already pushed aside uh, what you've been talking about because we're trying to develop players now in you know, MLS next clubs that are going to go end up playing with the first team. That's a different path mm-hmm. than what we're talking about here. Most of our kids are going to be multiple sport athletes are not going to be on that path. And most of the kids on that path, let's be clear, are not going to make it to the first team. Right. They're going to spend a lot of time, energy, money. Well, maybe not money because, you know, uh, if you're with an MLS team, it gets picked up. But a lot of time and energy to get to a point where someone says at U15, you know, we don't have room for you anymore. I mean, it's, it's a professional environment, which is different than what we're talking about. If we're talking about, you know, the difference between being specialized, well, if you're in an elite environment moving toward a true professional pathway, well, that's a different story. Um, but if you're just in a high school environment or an environment where you're playing pretty good level youth soccer, it's not the same. So there we need to start thinking about how do we provide these kids the opportunity for other opportunities? How do we say it's okay to play lacrosse? How do we say it's okay to play volleyball? How do we say it's okay to be on the golf team and not take that time away from them? One thing, one thing, you're going to jump in, but one, one more thing. Yeah. The, the problem of early specialization is this, and it's early specialization that we worry about. When you're in your teens and you decide to specialize, hopefully that's your decision. But early specialization is this. What if you had me playing soccer 10 months a year when I'm six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. What if I could have been a good tennis player, but you didn't give me an opportunity? What if I could have played volleyball and you didn't give me the opportunity? Um, there's where there's got to be a mix. And when I grew up, there was a mix. You played soccer in the fall. You played basketball in the winter. You played baseball or track in the spring. You know, and maybe somewhere in there, there was a short window for your club team. But you had an opportunity because we cut off. It was it was soccer that turned this into a 24-7 sport. It wasn't any other sport. It was soccer that did this. And soccer can't get its way out of it now. Well, so do you think... So do you think that the MLS the the MLS clubs should have or should hold academy teams at 
zone one, so U9 through U12? No. No, let them, let them do what they do. Let, let them try soccer out. Let them try baseball out. You know, and then let them come back. Uh, now, Mike, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm taking a lot of your time, and I'm going to okay. get off here in a minute. Now, I do understand the relative age effect, and I do understand that if I start playing at six and I'm playing 10 months a year, and at six you're playing five months a year, three years later, I'm advanced. I understand that. But am I so advanced that I would get into an MLS club? I don't know. But I don't think you start it that early. I, I think that's just that's just a mistake for the pros. Take a kid, take the kids the who thing, have uh, experienced a lot, and then let's see if we can make them into pros. I'm sorry, Mike. Go ahead. Well, the other issue too with specialization is the fact that if I'm constantly playing one sport or maybe even two sports, do I have the opportunity to experience other things, the arts, music, anything else like that? You don't. And uh, I, I always think about some kid who's driving three hours to practice, who may be a really good kid in school, who could be doing something so much better for himself and for, for the world, for, for example. Since I... Since I quit teaching and just uh, and doing this full time, uh, I think this is the only thing I can do anymore. If I'm looking for retirement jobs and I'm, and I'm looking every once in a while, part time, the only thing I'm qualified for is to be a labor uh, warehouse worker or a driver limo or something like that. Because I didn't have the opportunities to do all the other things because I was so involved with sports and with coaching later. And that's my concern for kids, too that if you keep pushing them into one sport, um, where are the opportunities going to come to experience some cultural things that may be a benefit to them later on? And it's kind of funny. I did a clinic in Philadelphia the other day, and um, this kid was playing was just unbelievably good, seven years old. He could play against U10s, I think. But his dad used a comment I hear often saying, oh, my son's really passionate about soccer. And I'm thinking, how do you develop passion for something that's the only thing you're doing? So it's the father's passion that he's put, I mean, pushing down on his son. And that's going to eliminate the chances for him to do other things. Um, and I think that's critical. Yeah. And what if this kid ended up being talented in the performing arts? You know, we, we want people that can do that. We want our leaders to be able to see beyond their nose. Uh, and, you know, specialization, I think, turns people into a direction where they can't see very broadly. So, I mean, we're getting past sports now. We're getting to other things. But why do we have sports? We have sports because it's supposed to make our environment better. Well, let's make our environment better. Well, and I think that 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 brings up an interesting point. So, if we're looking at U nine through U twelve, and and we and I think and I think we can all agree that that specialization at those ages is is not not advised, right? You, you want the kids to explore different things, right? So now we're 
Dwayne and I are in a position where we coach those age groups 10 months out of the year. Right. So, and, and I'm, I'm all for the idea of kids playing multiple sports. And that's one of the first things anytime I meet with a parent, they're like, well, my daughter also plays softball or basketball. And I'm like, perfect. Good. We can make the balance for that. Like we can absolutely adjust for that. I encourage you to do that. We can, I give you my schedule with a lot of, with a lot of notice. So that way, if there's things you can't make, that's okay. Like we can figure those things out. But one of the things I've noticed specifically this year, I think more than before, I think that's where at times technology sometimes hurts us more than helps us is this. It's been more accessible for us to get uh, cameras, um, you know, for parents to individually purchase GPS technology and, and things like that. So now even though we're doing the best we can to make sure that kids do experience different things, we are also putting them in an environment where we're doing video reviews at U10. Um, So what do you think the job or the responsibility of at the zone one level is for us as coaches? So what advice would you give, for example, Dwayne and myself, what should we be focusing on at zone one and where should we stop? I think that's the, I think that's the key is where, where do we draw the line? as to like, you're doing too much at that point. Michael, I think it's, it's, it's you and your individual team. Um, I mean, the purpose, we all play sports, all sports is to have fun. And then maybe the second part is to get better. Um, it's funny you bring up watching videotapes and things like that, because if if I'm showing my high school team, a video of a game, we just recently played. And I've even cut it down to there's there's certain parts I want them to watch. Unless it's them on that screen, they lose interest. Um, So I I think we're just adding other pressure. If we're, if we're going through watching games, talking about it. I think you just review it in your next practice. And here's what I saw that was good. Here's what I saw that was bad. We're working on this. And, and I think that should be adequate for kids that age. No pressure. Sebastian, I think what you were saying, though, was parents were taking the video and then subsequently reviewing that video with their child. Yes? Yeah, I mean it's a it's a mixture of things because we give them the access to it. And as much as we can try to give them guidelines of like, hey, if you're going to watch it, uh focus on really the positives. Don't necessarily at nine years old start looking for how many mistakes your kid made because it it I mean, realistically doesn't necessarily matter a whole lot because the, that's what we're working on a practice. We'll we'll figure those things out and those things and we ultimately encourage our kids to make mistakes. It's really the only way you you figure out how to how to get better. Well, when you said, what do we do between 9 and 12? What you start with is the care and feeding of the parents. They don't know better. That dad who's now, if his child is 10, he's probably in his late 30s. It's been 15 years since he played a high school sport and high school sports were different then. So, and, and may have never played in a, uh, a club environment. 
and clubs were different then. So I think, you know, I would go whole hog into just saying, you know, here's what we expect from you. And it wouldn't be one meeting at the beginning of the season. It would be several to reinforce and to reinforce and to reinforce. And if they're taking video and doing the wrong thing with it, take the video away. They don't see think, that video. They watch the game. Good enough. I think, we go. I, think, I think, though, too, Lou, that it has to be a club policy, too. It can't just be one or two teams. Assuming oh, that correct. Yeah. Well, well said, Mike. Yeah. And uh, I think I think with the the pay to play thing, these large clubs they they often lose the direction that they talk about they want to follow. Um, because I mean, look at Facebook. Every time a team wins a stupid tournament, there's pictures of them with their parents and things like that, and it just gets annoying to me to watch to see. Okay, especially when they're nine years old or eight years old and they're playing in some tournament. I'm just thinking. Well, Mike, recently, uh, one of the surf, surf is a franchise now. And one of the surf clubs were having tryouts for you fours. And it was on Facebook. Wow. Come to our tryouts. What are you trying out at that age? Who's bigger, faster, stronger? That's what you're trying out. Um, So we have to help parents figure out what is the grifter. And what is the the club that is going to try to develop their child as a soccer player and as a, as a person? So do you think that U.S. soccer should spend, or, or let me not point U.S. soccer specifically. Let me just say, do you think in general? Yeah, I work for them, so let's stay away from that. <laughs> well, so let's uh, yeah, so let's uh, let's let's just say in general, um, the powers that be, right? And there are multiple different different powers that be. Um, should they focus on the idea of that parent family education when it comes to coaching education? Should that be a module that's included as to part of what we as coaches have to learn, especially if, as we look at how we want to and I, and I and I think of our staff at Delaware Union and we have a we have one of our our U9 girls coach she's a former Delaware Union player played her since she was 8 years old at our club uh graduated from our club went to university is at the University of Delaware and and has a sophomore came back as and started coaching she knew from a very early age that she didn't want to play college soccer or anything like that but she wants to be an educator that's her that's her career path that's what she wants to do and she enjoys coaching what what do you think it, so you know do you think from a coaching education standpoint do you think we need to start including that in the modules or or part of what we do for young coaches is that parent education piece well it's funny you bring it up because they, we do present the parent education piece within the grassroots, but it's one or two slides. And you may have elicited discussion with them, but for the most part, I'd like to see maybe a a video of somebody handling parents um, at a real meeting and um, maybe presenting it that way, that this this is how I ran my meeting. Now you do that, I think, Lou, in the C and the B, the C at least, 
where they have to address the parents. But I think it should be more talk about not so much uh, the player's role, but the parent's role as kids are playing. Um, it, it's so tough because if you go to young kids playing, the parents are staring at their kid the entire time. So, and I did that. I, I was a bad parent for my kids. I pushed them too hard. It was one at all costs. Um, hurt relationships with my kids. So I'm a big advocate that parents start to recognize the harm they can cause or um, the kid losing interest because it's not fun anymore. Where I would jump in, Sebastian, is to say, it's really easy to point the finger up and say, U.S. soccer should take care of all of this. As opposed to pointing the finger sideways and say, okay, clubs, what are we doing? There are players, there are parents. You know, we've got to take some responsibility here. And when you say, well, what is U.S. soccer doing? Well, there's only so much they can do. You know, even in the A course where we spend a lot of time on leadership, the pushback is, no, we need to have more soccer in that course. Less leadership, more soccer. People want the X's and O's. Okay, but there's only so much time we have. And there's only so much time the Federation has. So I think at some point, you know, the, the clubs need to take some responsibility. Now, some will be responsible and some won't be. And the market will determine where people go. I, I agree with you. I think that I, I, I don't, I do that. And that's why I think I, I rephrase my, my, my question as to like the powers that be. And I, and I do think that from a coaching, from a coaching education standpoint, the clubs have to have a higher, uh, have a higher responsibility for what they do. Right. So Dwayne finishes D course a year ago and, me as the girls director of the club, for example, if he's coaching on the girls side of the club, it's my responsibility to make sure I follow up on him and make sure that he's, he's implementing what he learned in the course. Um, it, it's not, I think that's at the same time, it's my responsibility with my, the experience that I have and things like that of, Hey, here's how we manage parent situations. Here's how we manage these situations. And then now with Lou and Chad in our club of like, Hey, how do you now prepare for the C course to, to when you're ready to, to go and take that part of it? Um, I think, I think the, the family education part, and, I, and I'm glad you both talked about this because I think that's the, at times the missing piece is it has to start with the parents. I think at the youngest age groups, and I think that's why we, we try to, at times put our experienced coaches at those age groups or coaches that we know have a different personality that are not going to go into a battle against parents or going to take a U9 team and go, all right, like this is the team I'm going to have from U9 to U18 because this is, you know, for the next nine or 10 years of their lives, I'm going to be their voice. Um, And I think that we can all agree that there's, there's, probably a lot of harm that can be done in, in that scenario. Um, so just, it's an, I think it's an interesting topic of conversation of the 
responsibility the clubs have and how we then deal with the parents because ultimately that and, and Mike brought it up earlier. If the player wants to specialize, if the player wants to do something, then that's a different story than the parent wanting to for their player to do that. And I think, you know, Mike just said it, you know, the, the kid has a lot of passion for playing at seven years old and that's really all they know. Um, so how can you develop passion? Um, so last question for both of you, uh, what advice would you give to clubs and or coaches um, when it comes to how to handle them? Let's just say we're, let's just take the elite level to a certain extent out of the, out of the equation here. Um, so what advice would you give to clubs or coaches when it comes to um, encouraging their players to play other sports? Because we all know that it's hard for clubs to admit or want to have their players play other sports because there's a there's an inherent risk that comes with that that they might not come back. I think you have to be very flexible um, as a coach. And you bring up uh, teaching and soccer. Coaching is nothing but teaching. You want the kids to enjoy the classroom, be active, feel part of it. Soccer is the same thing. So I, I think those expectations should be the same for all these kids. And, and just one real quick point. Um, making decisions at younger ages eliminates a lot of kids who potentially could be really good down, you know, a few years down the road. So my issue also becomes making travel teams at these young ages too, where we're eliminating kids. So it'd be like a teacher saying, okay, he's not working up to the level I expect him to. We'll put him in a special education class and see what happens. Or he won't be in back in the regular class for a year or two. It should be a point that everybody gets to play the game, get to experience good coaching and they're learning. So that, that's the message we have to bring. Um, hopefully clubs will be flexible in their decisions too, but I don't know if that's going to happen if there's money to be made. Sebastian, um, two things. First, I would say less is more. We don't need to play 10 months a year. Just don't. Your club has shut down for the month of December, correct? Yeah, for the most part. Mm -hmm. And most clubs don't. They keep training right up until Christmas. Giving kids time to get away from the game, giving kids time to, let's say I'm playing, let's say I'm playing a winter sport. Say, Lou, I'll see you in February. You know, and we're going to start up in March. March 1, that's when high school starts. We'll start end of February. Go play basketball. Go wrestle. Go, go do that winter sport. Go, go deal with indoor track and field. And we'll see you later. What are you losing? You're indoor. It doesn't replicate the outside outdoor game anyway. All you're doing is knocking a ball on a field, on a pitch, hardwood floor that won't replicate going outside. So, you know, how useful is it? 
I, I don't think it's that useful. If if you didn't do that, you wouldn't lose much. So less is more to begin with. And the second thing is, I'm going to follow up on Mike about traveling teams early. One of the things we know about the relative age effect is those early teams are mostly made up of kids from the first half of the birth year, which means half of the kids we should be developing, we throw away. We got to develop all those kids. Now, it may mean having two different kinds of leagues or conferences for them to play in. But when you look at the idea that we're throwing away half of our kids every year from U8 to 12, how are we developing players? You know, so... Right in with that, Lou, too, is um, so we're making a team of what we think are the better players and ignoring the other kids. I, I, I recommend the clubs to carry two teams if they have the number of players and then mixed ability as opposed to this is my first team and this is my second team, especially at the younger ages, because I'm sure all of you have seen kids, you look at them and say, this kid can't do anything. And then three or four years later, you're looking at them, this kid's really good. Because somebody gave him a chance and he felt part of something. So I, I think it's important. If, if I if I ran things, I wouldn't have travel until at least 12. And just have good rec programs, inner clubs nearby. When you hear of U9 teams traveling two hours to play a game, it just doesn't make any sense. They used to have a thing on the MLS game of the week. At halftime, they would have a uh, a team, a youth team that they would feature. And they always had won about 100 games a year. And you ask yourself, who were they playing? They weren't playing anybody good if they could win 100 games. <laughs> so it was all about wins. It wasn't about development of those kids. So... Everyone's you know, looking for those Scott soccer points. Today, you know? Right. I'm sorry. I no, stepped on you there. No, I was saying that everyone, we're, everyone's we're, looking we're, for those Scott soccer points. No, sorry. Go ahead, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. So we want things to be inclusive as opposed to exclusive. And um, that's always mentioned through every course that soccer should be inclusive. And, uh, just doesn't happen. There's a lot I, of uh, different reasons why it doesn't happen. So I'm teaching an A course, and we're talking about elite clubs. And what happens when you let a kid go at 16? Where does he go? What do you do for him? And I'm saying to the group, and there's a guy from uh, Sporting Kansas City there. I said, you know, are you cutting these kids loose? just to win games? I mean, can't you develop them more? And his answer to me was, coach, if I did what you asked, they'd fire me. I'm supposed to win games. It's that simple. And I said, well, what do you do with the 16-year-olds that you let go? We let them go. We don't find something for them. We don't have another pathway. 
Now, that's a professional club, and it's pretty ruthless with professional clubs. You know, it's, um, it's not just it's not just professional clubs, though. Luke. I mean, we we tried to set up a tryout date for all clubs in Eastern Pennsylvania. They had to have it before May, and uh, COVID kind of screwed everything up. We had a lot of teams on board, but right now we have teams choosing their team for next year in December and January. So they're actually making cuts before the whole spring season is completed with no thought of what they're doing to the, to the kid playing and their families. So it just becomes really strange at times. Well, so I hope we answered all of your questions. (laughs) You did. And I think after another 50 popped up, but um, one last thought on the, on, on your Lou, on your on what you just said about the MLS in, in losing kids um, or cutting kids, you know, letting them go. I think the other part of it is I think you potentially um, you, you lose a fan. And I think yeah. that's and I think that's a I think that's a big part of that maybe sometimes gets missed when it comes to that. You you lose a fan and you ultimately, you know, our goal is to you know, at least the way I look at it from, from a personal standpoint, my goal is to make sure that, that kids enjoy this sport because I genuinely love this sport. It's, it's what, what makes me happy outside of my, my kids and my family. Um, soccer is what I, what I fall back on when, when I need something to, you know, pick myself up. So to put a kid in that scenario where all of a sudden you just lost a fan, and you just lost somebody that could potentially change the game or or um or change somebody's life in the game because of the experience they had now it's a now it becomes it's become a negative experience and not only yeah. for soccer but also for sports in general maybe it becomes a negative sports experience and so now you know that that kid falls into something different um i have two boys in my house that played soccer uh, one of them uh, did the whole thing. ODP, high level, played Division Two at a good level, round of eight. I don't think he walked across the street to watch a game. The other one, at about the time he hit high school, decided performing arts was his deal. But he still played with his club team. And now... Well, when he was at UVA at law school, he would call me and say, there's a game at uh, RFK. Why don't you meet me there? I'll take the train in. He became a fan. The other boy who we pushed everything on, and there was a lot of pressure, stopped becoming a fan. So let me take him one step further. How many women's professional teams are there in our league? Uh, Eleven. 12, 13? Next year. Next year, I think there'll be 11. Yeah. Okay. That's in the whole of the North American continent. You take Canada and us, there are only 10 women's teams. That says a lot about the fan base. And this is our third league in, what, 15 years? Yeah. There's a lot about the fan base. We're not creating fans that want to go and watch those games. Well, it didn't watch, you know? 
Well, it didn't help that, and this ultimately changed, but the original date and time for the NWSL final was in Portland at nine o'clock in the morning. Yeah, but it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It ended up up moving to Kentucky. That that is the reason why we have 10 teams. No, 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 for sure. It's not the reason we have. No, for sure, for sure. I just, I just think at sometimes, like, and and again, I think it's a bigger, it's a bigger conversation. I think when we, when we look the at conversation was ESPN looked at how many people were going to watch that game and said we're going to put it at nine. Yeah. If three times that we're going to watch that game would have been in the afternoon. Yeah. I think that's a that's the hard part. I think that's the. Um, but yeah, anyways, it, again, that's a, I think you answered all of my questions yet. Another 50 popped up. So I think we could do an entire series of, uh, <laughs> um, but so Lou, Lou and Mike, I, uh, I very, very, um, happy that you came on the podcast. So thank you so much to, uh, for coming on today. Um, as anytime I've, I've talked with both of you, I always learn something. I always pick something up and I always, um, find a way to now. I have to go learn something new. I have to uh, go answer those questions that I've that I've that I've now got in my head. So I'm I'm excited for that. So thank you so much for for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. Um, and thanks for always teaching us something new. All right, we're back. Um, man, every time I talk to Lou or Mike, I learn a lot. Get, just uh, get smarter. I just get smarter. Um, or or I come to the reali- realization that I don't know a whole lot. Uh, either one of those two, I think. <laughs> yeah, you, you might. You, every time Lou walks by one of my training sessions, you know, you could run it for five weeks and say, okay, I've mastered it. And he's like, hey, you should have just done this. Like this little thing. And it's just like, you got it, Lou. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's talk about the MLS playoffs. Crazy um, MLS playoffs. It's nuts, right? Absolutely. In like, it's just crazy how how it's turned out um so you know the it all started thanksgiving day right so I, we talked about this last week uh colorado portland Detroit. yeah portland against colorado uh portland winning which is a bit of an upset um so so far i mean philadelphia is the only in the semifinals philadelphia is the only one that's won at home Gonna win at home again too. Um, I'm hoping so. Um, Real Salt Lake <laughs> beating Sporting Kansas City, and I watched that game, and uh, it was really, really interesting to watch Sporting KC because at one point, um, the head coach for you know, Peter Vermees uh, is sitting there after um, Real Salt Lake scores their first goal. And you could hear on the broadcast, he's going, come on, come on, let's go. Like, you know, let's step up and play because you just see everybody's head dropped. Um, And I've been to that stadium. That stadium has a great atmosphere. In Kansas uh, City, right? Oh, yeah, I've been there. It's, it's a fantastic stadium. And then Real Salt Lake, you know, Bobby Wood. Bobby Wood, who was in the USL a few months ago, Bobby Wood. If you were trying to figure out, oh, no, did Bobby Wood retire from soccer? Nope, he did not retire from soccer. Bobby Wood came in and... Uh, he did retire from soccer. He retired from top-level soccer and went to the MLS. 
uh, came in and scored a 91st minute goal uh, to put Real Salt Lake into that semifinal against Portland. Yeah, I mean, Real Salt Lake just had their backs against the wall and just decided you're going to hide or fight. And they decided they're going to fight and fought their way all the way to the Western Conference Finals. Yeah. So, so now they play Portland, um, which Portland's going to be without two of their starters, at least. Uh, Sebastian Blanco out with an injury. And then, uh, yeah, he came off. He came off hurt pretty bad. And then Dyron Espria off with a red card. So he's suspended. I don't know who that is, but that Blanco is that's ooh. Yeah. Um so is it at Portland? It's at Portland, yeah. Yeah, that's a tough environment to go to too though. Yeah. That is one stadium I want to go to, but yeah, it's always sold out. Um, and then the union, you know, uh coming up big in PKs. Um, saved by Dre. Two nothing PK shootout. <laughs> Shout out to Dre. Put the yeah. team on his back. He said, hey, I got this. Yeah. Yeah. He's big, a good goalkeeper. Big time. Um, his, his really his weak point is goal kicks and technical ability. But like when it comes to making saves. He's got it. He's got it. Yeah. And then the other game, which I thought was the, the like. Not the result and I, that we wanted. You and, you and I were texting back and forth uh, about it. But. Uh, so New England comes out, or sorry, New York City FC scores an early goal. Uh, New England scores a goal six minutes later. So ten minutes in, we're already one-one. Um, yeah, and then the the next goals don't really happen until the hundred nineteenth, hundred ninth, hundred eighteenth, and hundred yeah, hundred ninth, hundred eighteenth minute. And yeah, then we go to, New York had the lead for a total of fifteen minutes the whole game. They won yeah. the game. Yeah, they won the game. That's crazy. Yes. Yeah, um, so, so your boy scores a goal and gets thrown out. <laughs> Golden boot winner, man. Just he said, I'm gonna rest for the final. Well, he's trying to rest for the final. He just got an early start to his offseason. Yeah, he's on the beach somewhere. <laughs> um, um that game was crazy though, towards the end. Because I mean NYCFC was literally once he got thrown out, we're literally playing with nine players because that her the player. right back was cramping up and couldn't move trying to defend for his life. Yeah. <laughs> he was literally over there. They were attacking him hard. And he was literally over there defending for his little life with one leg. Yeah. Pegling. Yeah. There was nothing they could do about it. So, um, and then Mike Barricario's boy, Tejan Buchanan. That's right. With the, uh, assist. With the assist, he had a good yeah. game. Yeah, yeah. So ultimately, ultimately, uh, so now you know, you need the union host on Sunday at three o'clock against NYCFC. So is there a possibility of the union hosting the MLS Cup? If yes, there is. I I know this. I know this. So uh, Real Salt Lake has to win. Let's go. And obviously, yeah, and I got obviously, my Nick Ramondo jersey still hanging up. And obviously, the union have to win. I got my Freddie Adu Real Salt Lake jersey <laughs> hanging up in the closet. Which actually, this spurred an, an idea that I had. So I came up with a new game uh, that we're going to debut next week, hopefully with our guests that we have lined up for next week. I got a new game that we're going to play um, based on this MLS playoffs thing. 
Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna play a game. Who's that player that didn't play a minute that plays on this team? <laughs> <laughs> Who's that player that's still playing but just hasn't made it? Just hasn't made an appearance. Uh, close. It's it's close to that game. Who's, who's that. ring chasing? Who's <laughs> who's in it just for the rings? Who's in it for the jewelry? Um. All right. So let's talk about the other big news of the week. Uh, the, uh this news. I mean, you have to talk about it. You don't want to talk about it, man. It was. It's upsetting to see. Who won this? No, it's not. Absolutely should be a riot. It should be a riot going on in Europe right now. No, 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 no. Um, All right. Let's talk about the Ballon d'Or put out by France Football. Uh, By France Football. This was the, what, 60th anniversary, 65th anniversary of it, right? 65th anniversary. I think it was 65. Yeah, 65 years. Uh, So Messi winning the Ballon d'Or. Absolutely. Was not deserving. Robert Lewandowski was the best player in the world this year. Showed it. He still is the best player in the world this year. I voted for him. That's the true winner. <laughs> uh, I'm going to disagree with you because uh, I think Lewandowski should have won it last year when Bayern won the Champions League. Well, you know what? They didn't even award it last they year. Didn't so they didn't award it. Given it they, to him this they, year. They, they didn't award it. And that was part of Messi's speech was that he should have gotten it. Part of Messi's speech was he should have gotten it. Um, He's got but, enough sitting at home. Give it to Lewandowski. Yeah, so Messi wins his seventh. He's got six more at home, so he can give the seventh one. Uh, yeah. No, I mean, listen, it, I watched every single or mostly almost every single minute of the Copa America this year. Um, and to watch what Messi was able to do with that Argentinian national team at 35, 36 years. Uh, no, he's uh, he's 35. He's a year older than I am. Um, to watch him do what he did at, at that age, um, it, it was impressive. Um, he had the most goals of the tournament. Sorry, he's 34 years old. I don't know why I confuse it. He's the same. He's born in the same year as me. He's just born four months older earlier. Uh, he's 34. Um, to watch what he was able to do, um, he had the most assist of the of the tournament, and I think broke the record for most assist. And he had the most goals as well. Um, so he got most assists and most goals. With and this is your first major tournament with the with your national team. Um, Let's be honest. Let's be honest, though. Poland ain't never coming out here winning the UEFA nothing. That's fine. But, I mean, listen, I was listening, watching SPNFC, and they were talking about this. Um, Luka Modric won it a couple of years ago, right? 2018, he won it. Right. Because of what he did with Croatia. And the World Cup. The players that play for Croatia. You're telling me Croatia is that much different than Poland? Croatia arguably had one of the best central midfielder midfield tandems ever. That's fine. But, but you're telling me that Croatia's that Name much another player that plays for Poland. Uh, was that Szczesny? The, yeah, the goalkeeper. Yeah. Szczesny. Yeah. I was, gonna, I was looking for you a know, goalkeeper. You can't win anything with a goalkeeper and a forward. <laughs> um, I don't know. I still think, I still think, uh, Messi deserves Poland it. and Norway should merge. 
<laughs> now it's a merger. <laughs> po- po- Proatia. Yeah. Poor way. Poor way. <laughs> oh, Poland and Norway. Sorry. Poland and Norway. Poor way. But you're going to have the two best players who play in the same position? Absolutely. They're just going to score goals. And then you play. can put Wojak. You can put Wojak in goal. There play, you go. four, play a 4 4 2. Playing 8 2. <laughs> just give them the ball. Just give those two the ball and they'll figure it out. They'll, they'll figure it out. I will admit that watching. Watching the the goals that Lewandowski scored when during the Bolondior presentation, they were showing this top ten goals of the year, or something like that. And uh, his his ability to receive a ball inside the box and then shoot is absolutely impressive. Um, yeah, that's why he should have won the Bolondior. Yeah, well, you know, it's still oh, not well. better. Than, it's still not better than Messi, but um, the women's Bolondior. Goes to Alexia Puteas from Barcelona. Barcelona having yeah, they stacked it up. <laughs> three players in the top ten. They had like two in the top three, right? Yeah, that yeah yeah they had the top two. They had the top two. Yeah, they had the top two. Yeah, Jennifer Hermoso. Uh, now, granted, Barcelona also won the treble this year, so you know. Well, at least one of their teams is winning something. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, and then Martins is the other player. She came in fifth. Uh, no USA. Jason Clare sneaks represent North America up there. Well, same thing as as Ashley Lawrence and Jesse Fleming. Where are they from? Canada. Oh. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, no USA player this year. Carly Lloyd retired, so that, they were like, "You went on this like six month retirement tour. We're not putting you in the balloon door." We don't care that much. And uh, Gianluigi Donnarumma winning the uh, Yashin Trophy, best goalkeeper. It is what it is. I mean, he was voted the best player in the Euros, so you would expect that he would. Yeah, I guess for Italy, right? So, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, played enough subpar team. And and Milan, that I mean, now they're good, I guess. But I guess when he wasn't, when he was there, they were. I was gonna say he's probably giving up a lot of goals in Milan. Yeah, um, but so yeah, so there's your there's your Bologna Dior. Um, yeah, golden boy, golden boy. Yeah, Pedri, Pedri winning the the youngest player or the best young player who had she he had also won the Golden Boy Award that year. So yeah. somebody's upset about that place for Man City. Who? Phil. Phil's, Phil, you think Phil's upset? Phil is upset. He might not show it, but he's upset deep down. I mean, he, he shows it by the fact that he looks upset every time you see him. Yeah. I mean, those are some really good young players there. Those two. Yeah. For the future. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure, Pedri is 100% one of those guys that you just, yeah, it's. We'll see if uh, Byron triggers his release clause. No way. Uh, there's a rumor. Yeah. Barcelona's like, hey, take it. Like, help us <laughs> I, need out. The, I need the cash. I need the cash. Uh, you can go buy some new equipment. <laughs> Still using, <laughs> using the, the, these Coleman pennies that he brought in. Hey, Messi, uh, can you bring in the Copa America pennies? We need some pennies. <laughs> 
how much do you think they could sell they could get if they like auctioned off one of the Ballon d'Ors? <laughs> Can I borrow one? <laughs> Donate hey, one. Messi, can you sign this? And uh, we need you to give up a <laughs> one of your Ballon d'Ors. Going to auction it off at the next uh, Barca auction. There you go. Yeah. Well, well, now apparently there's a rumor that uh, Cavani is uh, when he's his contract's up in June, he's leaving and going to Barcelona. Who is Cavani? Because he doesn't have they don't have to they don't have to pay the transfer fee. Uh, he's going to take a dollar. He's going to take a, a euro rate wage like uh, Danny Alves. Yeah, there you go. Danny Alves is on a weekly wage of one euro. There you go. It's class. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's all you can afford right now. <laughs> that's, well, they, the, that's the budget. Now, if you win, if you win something, it's a payday. Yeah. But all right, who is your player of the match, Dwayne? Dude, my player of the match is your player of the match. Oh, well, we gotta give it to him, right? I mean, I feel like that's yeah, like, there's there's no other player of the match that played right. better this week than Andre Blake. That's right. Andre Blake is the player of the match. Um, I mean, he's just a huge, just outstanding. We were, I was watching, I would, I had just left my parents' house and I was watching that game from in the car with, with Brittany next to me and the two kids in the back. And we were screaming, Andre Blake. I, I see, I should have went and gambled on this game. <laughs> like, I mean, we called the final because <clears throat> we wanted to go to the final. Yeah. Shout out which, to those producers for putting it at three o'clock on a Sunday afternoon. Like, which sold out, so, sold out in eight hours. We got soccer tournaments to participate in. That's right, man. That's right. Hopefully, I hopefully I have my own final at four o'clock that day. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. All right, doing on this day in soccer history. This is where um, uh, I give you in suspense because I didn't tell you which what it was, but it was going to be about. All right, so 2015. Six years ago, the Argentinian Football Association is voting on a new president. There are 75 delegates that get to vote that are representing each of the clubs in the Argentinian Football Association. Okay. So 75 delegates, and it was going to be a big vote because this is the the first vote since Grandona, who had been the longtime president president had passed away so it's a big vote it's going to be changing a lot of potential things anyways so all right 75 delegates like a vote the vote comes out 38 to 38 (laughs) so for those of you keeping track at home that adds up to 76 (laughs) voted twice (laughs) so they recounted who voted for both who voted for both (laughs) They've recounted multiple times and it came always came up 38 to 38. So somehow out of 75 people voted, 76 votes came out. Corruption, and, man. That's funny. And they could not revote because as soon as there was two or three people that as soon as they voted, they left. Corruption. Yeah, and those are the two and three that that voted twice. So what followed was a uh, rocky next two years because in June of 2016, FIFA would um, come in and set up uh, a 
consortium consortium of, of sorts. So basically they they created a board, a managing board uh, that by Argentinian people that, that they had on there uh, to manage the all soccer decisions for the country. But um, but FIFA came in yet because there was clearly something wrong. <laughs> There's some corruption going on. So yeah, so that happened uh, six years ago. Good old Argentina somehow uh, thirty-eight to thirty-eight out of seventy-five votes. <laughs> Just corrupt, corrupt, corrupt group of people, man. Yeah. All right, fair play of the week. Who is your fair play of the week this week? Fair play of the week is going to go to Odessa High School for you took being, mine. Being fantastic host, having state-of-the-art facilities, and allowing us to use their stadium and their practice turf field to train. Fantastic facilities. If I had a kid, they'd be going to Odessa High. They would be a duck. Quack, One, quack. because they have incredible swag, and two, great facilities. Now, hopefully, the teams that train on these facilities are good teams. And that's up to Sebastian to manage that. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's – yeah, I'm, I'm on the same line there. Uh, the Odessa High School staff for, for being super accommodating in the Apple School District for, for allowing us to use those fields. This winter, um, I'm proud to be a duck, so I'm I'm happy. Quack quack, quack quack. Yeah, <laughs> make sure I get some swag. I like that stuff y'all got. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, you you missed that? I was wearing my jacket the other day. Uh, well, yeah. You guys open up your swag store. I'll let you know. Give me a call. The, uh, maybe in a couple of years. Maybe in a couple of years when uh, when our new uh, uniform is is up again. Maybe I'll go Jordan. Jordan, it's fine. Be the only yeah. club in the state. Yeah, yeah. Let's do it. Uh, all right. Well, with with the quack quack on our hands or our minds, uh, we'll say uh, thanks for joining us this week. And remember, always receive the ball on your front foot. <laughs>